Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning, and welcome to the morning segment of the Monday, March 13th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Definitely worth your time to get over there. A lot of great listening, more listening than you're going to have time to listen to, but definitely worth your while. Uh, I'll continue to point you at the final link in our show notes. That is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. We are working on rapidly paying off our mortgage so we can shift gears and commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide an alternative in our community. So go ahead and click on the link. Take a read through what what the information is we, we have there. It'll give you a little bit better description than I just gave you. And then we would ask three things of you. We would ask you to pray for us. We would ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we would ask you to pass the link along so others can do the same. All right. Well, we're going to jump right in. And I'm sorry. I, I think I may be coming down with something. So I'm sorry if I sniffle a little bit. I'm trying not to. But we're going to go ahead and jump in. We need to do our reading for the day. And then we will do in our evening segment, we'll read a couple couple of more chapters out of uh, Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. So... Second day, so we're going to open up like we usually do on Monday mornings with the second day morning prayer, God over all. Let's pray. O God, all sufficient, thou hast made and upholdest all things by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever, God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring in thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life, and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives, and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right. Now the morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for March 13th. Uh, the text comes from 2 Kings 7.3. Why sit we here until we die? Dear reader, this little book was mainly intended for the edification of believers. But if you are yet unsaved, our heart yearns over you, and we would fain say a word which may be blessed to you. 
Open your Bible and read the story of the lepers, and mark their position, which was much the same as yours. If you remain where you are, you must perish. If you go to Jesus, you can but die. Nothing venture, nothing win, is the old proverb, and in your case the venture is no great one. If you sit still in sullen despair, no one can pity you where, where your ruin comes. But if you die with mercy sought, if such a thing were possible, you would be the object of universal sympathy. None, none escape who refuse to look to Jesus. But you know that at any rate some are saved who believe in him. For certain of your own acquaintances have received mercy. Then why not you? The Ninevites said, Who can tell? Act upon the same hope and try the Lord's mercy. To perish is so awful that if there were but a straw to catch at, the instinct of self-preservation should lead you to stretch out your hand. We have thus been talking to you on your own unbelieving ground. We would now assure you, as from the Lord, that if you seek him, he will, found, he will be found, found, I'm sorry, he will be found of you. Jesus casts out none who come unto him. You shall not perish if you trust him. On the contrary, you shall find treasure far richer than the poor lepers gathered in Syria's deserted camp. May the Holy Spirit embolden you to go at once, and you shall not believe in vain. When you are saved yourself, publish the good news to others. Hold not your peace. Tell the king's household first, and unite with them in fellowship. Let the porter of the city, the minister, be informed of your discovery, and then proclaim the good news in every place. The Lord save thee, ere the sun goes down this day. All right. So now we're going to read Numbers 19 and 20, the beginning of Luke 1, uh, Psalm 56, and then Proverbs 11, verse 8. So Numbers 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law which Yahweh has commanded, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, that they take to you a red heifer without blemish, and which has no defect, and on which a yoke has never been placed. And you shall give it to Eleazar the priest, and it shall be brought outside the camp, and be slaughtered in his presence. Next Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger, and sprinkle some of its blood toward the front of the tent of meeting seven times. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its hide and its flesh and its blood with its refuse shall be burned, and the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet material and cast it into the midst of the burning heifer. The priest shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and afterward come into the camp, but the priest shall be unclean until evening. The one who burns it shall also wash his clothes in water and bathe his body in water and shall be unclean until evening. Now a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place. And the congregation of the sons of Israel shall keep it as water to remove impurity. It is purification from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And it shall be a perpetual statute to the sons of Israel and to the sojourner who sojourns among them. The one who touches the corpse of any person shall be unclean for seven days. The that one, that one shall purify himself from uncleanness with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, and then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Anyone who touches a corpse, the body of a man who has died, and does not purify himself, makes the tabernacle of Yahweh unclean. And that person shall be cut off from Israel, because the water for impurity was not splashed on him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. This is the law when a man dies in a tent. 
Everyone who comes into the tent and everyone who is in the tent shall be unclean for seven days. And every open vessel which has no covering tied down on it shall be unclean. Also anyone who is in the open field touches... Sorry, also anyone who in the open field touches one who has been slain with a sword or who has died naturally or a human bone or a grave shall be unclean for seven days. Then for the unclean person they shall take some of the ashes of the burnt purification from sin and flowing water shall be added to them in a vessel. And a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle it on the tent and on all the furnishings and on the persons who were there and on the one who touched the bone or the one slain or the one dying naturally or the grave. Then the clean person shall sprinkle on the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day, and on the seventh day he shall purify him from uncleanness, and he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and shall be clean by evening. But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself from uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from the midst of the assembly, because he has made the sanctuary of Yahweh unclean. The water for impurity has not been splashed on him, he is unclean. So it shall be a perpetual statute for them. And he who sprinkles the water for impurity shall wash his clothes. And he who touches the water for impurity shall be unclean until evening. Furthermore, anything that the unclean person touches shall be unclean. And the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. Numbers 20. Then the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin. In the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had breathed our last when our brothers breathed their last before Yahweh. Why then have you brought the assembly of Yahweh into this wilderness, for us and our beasts to die here? And why have you made us come from e come up from Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly, assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Then the glory of Yahweh appeared to them, and Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before Yahweh, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses raised high his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Those were the waters of Meribah, because the sons of Israel contended with Yahweh, and he proved himself holy among them. From Kadesh, Moses sent messengers to the king of Edom. Thus your brother Israel has said, You know all the hardships that has that have all the hardship that has befallen us. That our fathers went down to Egypt, and we stayed in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians treated us and our fathers badly. So we cried out to Yahweh, and he heard our voice and sent an angel, and brought us out from Egypt. Now behold, we are at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or through vineyard. We will not even drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn to the right or to the left. 
until we pass through your territory. Edom, however, said to him, You shall not pass through us, lest I come out to meet you with the sword. Again the sons of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway, and if I and my livestock do drink any of your water, then I will pay its price. Let me only pass through on my feet, nothing else. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out to meet him with a heavy force and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. Then they sent out, set out from Kadesh, and the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to Mount Hor. And Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron will be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the sons of Israel, because you rebelled against me against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and his son Eleazar, and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on his son Eleazar. So Aaron will be gathered to his people, and will die there. So Moses did, just as Yahweh had commanded, and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments, and put them on his son Eleazar. And Aaron died there on the mountain top. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. So all the congregation saw that Aaron breathed his last, and all the house of Israel wept for Aaron thirty days. All right, Luke 1, verses 1 through 25. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them the word handed them down to us, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in order, orderly sequence, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty about the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, of the division of Abiha, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and righteous requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will not drink any wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the dis disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands before God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and were wondering at his delay in the sanctuary. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, 
and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And it happened that when the days of his priestly service were fulfilled, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, conceived, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my disgrace among men. All right. Psalm 56. For the choir director, according to Jonath Elam Rehokim, a miktam of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? All day long they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They attack, they lurk, they watch my heels. As they have hoped to take my life, on account of their wickedness, will they have an escape? In anger bring down the peoples, O God. You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in Yahweh whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will fulfill thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. And finally, Proverbs 11, verse 8. The righteous is rescued from distress, but the wicked takes his place. All right, well, that was our reading for the day. I hope you have a wonderful day. I, I'm grateful that you've spent this time with me. I hope it was edifying for you. Um, I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with a prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called The Great Discovery. Let's pray. Glorious God, I bless thee that I know thee. I once lived in the world, but was ignorant of its creator, was partaker of thy providence, but knew not the provider, was blind while enjoying the sunlight, was deaf to all things spiritual, with voices all around me, understood many things, but had no knowledge of thy ways, saw the world, but did not see Jesus only. O oh, happy day, when in thy love's sovereignty thou didst look on me and call me by grace. Then did the dead heart begin to beat, the darkened eye glimmer with light, the dull ear catch thy echo, and I turned to thee and found thee, a, godly, a God ready to hear, willing to save. Then did I find my heart an enmity to thee, vexing thy spirit. Then did I fall at thy feet and hear thee thunder, the soul that sinneth, it must die. But when grace made me to know thee, and admire a God who hated sin, Thy terrible justice held my will submissive. My thoughts were then as knives cutting my head. Then didst thou come to me in the silken robe, robes of love, and I saw thy son dying that I might live. And in that death I found my all. My soul doth sing at the remembrance of that peace. The gospel cornet brought a sound unknown to me before that reached my heart, and I lived never to lose my hold on Christ or his hold on me. Grant that I may always weep to the praise of mercy found, and tell to others as long as I live that thou art a sin-pardoning God, 
taking up the blasphemer and the ungodly and washing them from their deepest stain. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a great day and I hope to see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Monday, March 13th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Uh, The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Definitely worth your time to do it. Some great, great listening over there. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and open up. Um, it, the next couple of days are going to be a little bit shorter readings and Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. Um, honestly, that's just being a help to me. Um, gives me a little bit more time to study and prepare as we get back into our Bible study and um, in John 6 and gives me some time to prepare a sermon because I'm going to be preaching here near the end of March. So, um, but we're going to go ahead and open up this evening with our prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called Evening Renewal, and there's not a link in the show notes for this one. I could not find it out on the the Banner of Truth archives, so I'm reading it straight out of the book, but I did give you the page, at least in the book, where it's supposed to be. Evening Renewal. Let's pray. My Father, if thy mercy had bounds, where would be my refuge from from just wrath? But thy love in Christ is without measure. Thus I present myself to thee with sins of commission and omission, against thee, my Father, against thee, adorable Redeemer, against thee and thy strivings, O Holy Spirit, against the dictates of my conscience, against the precepts of thy word, against my neighbors and myself. Enter not into judgment with me, for I plead no righteousness of my own, and have no cloak for iniquity. Pardon my my day dark with evil. This night I renew my penitence. Every morning I vow to love thee more fervently, to serve thee more sincerely, to be more devoutly in my me more devoted in my life, to be wholly thine. Yet I soon stumble yet I soon stumble, backslide, and have to confess my weakness, misery, and sin. But I bless thee that the finished work of Jesus needs no addition from my doings, that his obla- oblation is sufficient satisfaction for my sins. If future days be mine, help me to amend my life to hate and abhor evil, to flee the sins I confess. Make me more resolute, more watchful, more prayerful. Let no evil fruit spring from evil seeds my hands have sown. Let no neighbor be hardened in vanity and folly by my want of circumspection. If this day I have been ashamed of Christ and his word, or have shown unkindness, malice, envy, lack of love, unadvised speech, hasty temper, let it be no stumbling block to others, or dishonor to thy name. O help me to set an upright example that will ever rebuke vice, allure to goodness, and evidence that that lovely are the ways of Christ. Amen. All right. Well, let's see. Now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening uh, for March 13th. The text for it is from Genesis 8-9. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her, pulled her in unto him into the ark. 
Wearied out with her wanderings, the dove returns at length to the ark as her only resting place. I'm sorry, I need to move something. How heavily she flies. She will drop. She will never reach the ark. But she struggles on. Noah has been looking out for his dove all day long and is ready to receive her. She has just strength to reach the edge of the ark. She can hardly alight upon it and is ready to drop when Noah puts forth his hand and pulls her in unto him. Mark that, pulled her in unto him. She did not fly right in herself, but was too fearful or too weary to do so. She flew as far as she could, and then he put forth his hand and pulled her in unto him. This act of mercy was shown to the wandering dove, and she was not chidden for her wanderings. Just as she was ju just as she was, she was pulled into the ark, so you, seeking sinner, with all your sin, will be received. Only return, those are God's two gracious words, only return. What, nothing else? No, only return. She had no olive branch in her mouth this time, nothing at all but just herself and her wanderings. But it is only return, and she does return, and Noah pulls her in. Fly, thou wanderer, fly, thou fainting one, dove as thou art, though thou thinkest thyself to be black as the raven with the mire of sin. Back, back to the Savior. Every moment thou waitest does but increase thy misery. Thine attempts to plume thyself and make thyself fit for Jesus are all vanity. Come thou to him just as thou art. Return thou backsliding Israel. He does not say, Return thou repenting Israel. There is such an invitation, doubtless, but thou backsliding one, as a backslider with all thy backslidings about thee. Return, return, return. Jesus is waiting for thee. He will stretch forth his hand and pull thee in, into himself, thy heart's true love. All right. Well, we're going to read chapter 9 in uh, Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. And as I've said before, this is not just for a godly man. This is for a godly person. This is what we as godly people should look like. So, um, and he's giving us direction in this. And so we've dealt with all the characteristics. We've read through some other things, some exhortations. And so today we're reading chapter 9. Chapter 9 is motives to persevere in godliness. So let's get into it. So, chapter 9, Motives to Persevere in Godliness. That I may excite Christians to persevere in the profession of godliness, I will propose these four considerations. Number one, it is the glory and crown of a Christian to be gray-headed in godliness. Mnason of Cyprus, an old disciple, Acts 21.16, was an honor. What an honor it is to see a Christian's garments red with blood, yet his conscience pure white and his graces green and flourishing. Number two, how do sinners persevere in their sins? They are settled on their lees. Zephaniah 1.12 The judgments of God will not deter or remove them. They say to their sin, as Ruth said to Naomi, Where you go, I will go. The Lord do so to me, and more, if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth 1.16-17 So nothing shall, be, shall part men from their sins. Oh, what a shame it is that the wicked should be fixed in evil, and we be unfixed in good, that they should be more constant in the devil's service than we are in Christ's. Number three, our perseverance in godliness may be a means to confirm others. Cyprian's hearers followed him to the place of his suffering, and seeing his steadfastness in the faith, they cried out, 
let us also die with our holy pastor. Many of the brethren, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word. Philippians 1.14 Paul's zeal and constancy animated the beholders. His prison chain made converts in Nero's court, and two of those converts were afterwards martyrs, as history relates. Number four, we shall lose nothing by our perseverance in godliness. There are eight glorious promises which God has entailed on the persevering saints. The first is Revelations 2.10. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Christian, you may lose the breath of life, but not the crown of life. The second promise is Revelation 2.7. To him that overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. This tree of life is the Lord Jesus. This tree infuses life and prevents death. The day we eat of this tree, our eyes shall indeed be opened to see God. The third promise is Revelation 2.17. To him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knows except him that receives it. This promise consists of three branches. I will give to eat of the hidden manna. This is mysterious. It signifies the love of God, which is manna for its sweetness and hidden for its rarity. Number two, I will give him a white stone. This is absolution. It may be called a precious stone, says Jerome. Number three, and in the stone a new name. That is adoption. He shall be reputed an heir of heaven, and no one can know it except the one who has the privy seal of the Spirit to assure him of it. The fourth promise is Revelation 3.5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white raiment. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. The persevering saint shall be clothed in white. This is an emblem of joy, Ecclesiastes 9.8. He shall put off his mourning clothes and be clothed in the white robe of glory. I will not blot out his name from the book of life. God will blot out a believer's sins, but he will not blot out his name. The book of God's decree has no errata in it, but I will confess his name. The one who has owned Christ on, Christ on earth and worn his colors when it was death to wear them, Christ will not be ashamed of but will acknowledge his name before his Father and the holy angels. Oh, what a comfort and honor it will be to have a good look for, from Christ at the last day. No, to have Christ own us by name and say, These were the ones who stood up for my truth and kept their garments pure in a defiling age. These shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The fifth promise is Revelation 3.12. Him that overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God. There are many excellent things couched in this promise. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. The hypocrite is a reed shaken by the wind, but the conquering saint shall be a glorious pillar, a pillar for strength, and a pillar in the temple for sanctity, and he shall go out no more. I understand this to mean a glorified state. Never again will he leave it. That is, after he has overcome, he shall no more go out to the wars. He shall never more have sin or temptation to conflict with. No more shall the noise of drum or cannon be heard. But having won the field, the believer shall now stay at home and divide the spoil. And I will write on him the name of my God. That is, he shall be openly acknowledged as my child, just as the son bears his father's name. How honorable that saint must be, who has God's name written on him and I will write on him the name of the city of my God. 
that is, he shall be enrolled as a citizen of the New Jerusalem above. He shall be made free in the angelic society. The sixth promise, sorry, the sixth promise is Revelation 2.26. He that overcomes and keeps my works to the end, to him I will give power over the nations. This may have a double mystery. Either it may be understood of the saints dwelling on earth, they shall have power over the nations, their zeal and patience shall overpower the adversaries of truth, Acts 6.10. Or principally, it may be understood of the saints triumphing in heaven. They shall have power over the nations. They shall share with Christ in some of his power. They shall join with him in judging the world at the last day. The saints shall judge the world, 1 Corinthians 6.2. The seventh promise is Revelation 3.21. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Here is one, first, the saints' dignity, they shall sit upon the throne. Number two, secondly, their safety, they shall sit with Christ. Christ holds them fast, and no one shall pluck them out of his throne. The saints may be turned out of their houses, but they cannot be turned out of Christ's throne. Men may as well pluck a star out of the sky as to pluck a saint out of the throne. The eighth promise is Revelation 2.28. I will give him the morning star. The saints may be sullied with reproach in this life. They may be turned factious and disloyal. Paul himself suffered trouble in the opinion of some as an evildoer, 2 Timothy 2.9. Yet God will bring forth the saints' righteousness as the light, and they shall shine like the morning star, which is brighter than the rest. I will give him the morning star. This morning star is meant of Christ, Revelation 22.16. It is as if Christ had said, I will give the persevering saint some of my beauty. I will put some of my splendid rays on him. He shall have the nearest degree of glory to me, just as the morning star is nearest the sun. Oh, what soul-ravishing promises there are here! Who would not persevere in godliness? Whoever is not, is not affected by these promises is either a stone or a brute. All right. Well, that is our reading for the day. I know that was very short, but honestly, it's late. I need to get to sleep, and we're going to finish our way out. Like I said, this tonight, tomorrow night are going to be kind of short, and I'm actually going to have to break up one of the last chapters because it's just way too long by itself um, for us to try to read in one sitting. But again, I, I hope I hope it's been beneficial for you to work through uh, Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture with me. It has been for me. I've very much enjoyed it. Um, and, and again, we're going to try this kind of thing a little bit later on as well. I want to get back into our Bible study, but down the road, we will probably do this again. Um, because I've enjoyed it. I hope you have, um, you can out at, um, I know out on anchor, you can comment on the podcast. Um, I think on Christian podcast community, you can do the same. Um, so, either place, you know, it, it, let me know if you enjoyed this. Let me know if you've, you've liked how we're doing this. Um, I, I would definitely, you know, would definitely be blessed to know what you thought about this. Um, and even some suggestions. Um, I, I'm obviously, I, I tend to prefer the Puritans, um, great, great men of God and definitely worthwhile to pursue, but maybe there are some others solid out there that would be good as well that we could work on. So, But anyways, I hope you have a wonderful evening. I hope to see you in the morning. And let's go ahead and close out in prayer. Uh, Like we used to do on Monday evenings, we're going to close out with the second day evening prayer called Bounty. Let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, 
Thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, Thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses us, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. All right, again, I hope to see you in the morning. Have a great night. God bless.